Listening to episode 25, a very special Halloween episode of the Men Among Men Stories podcast with myself, Hank from Fire Force Ventures, and Bindu from the Men Among Men Stories podcast. Hey. Before we begin this very special Halloween podcast with Nicholas from Tales from the Grid Square, we would like to mention a few of our sponsors, give a quick shout out to our merch store. Um, obviously, as many of you know, Fire Force Ventures is actually back up and running again from the great state of Texas. I am currently managing it remotely up here from Canada. Uh, it is 100% ready to go, accepting orders right now at fireforceventures.com, which is very exciting. I also have another business, Canada Camo, which was built on the bones of the Fire Force Ventures operation up in Canada. Uh, that focuses on curated militaria, apparel, and hard goods, largely for the North American market. Fire Force Ventures, as many of you know, is very focused on providing really rare and unusual camouflage patterns like Rhodesian Breaststroke, 3-2 Battalion, Summer Pattern, Belgian Breaststroke, among many others in the development pipeline. Very exciting stuff happening there. So if you like military history, you like militaria, you like camo, definitely check out Fire Force Ventures. And if you are a true uh, syrup, maple syrup-blooded Canuck, check out Canada Camo. Do you agree? Bindu's nodding his head. That's a good sign. He typically doesn't agree with me so often. Uh, next up, Commando Blog. We should mention them as well. They are revamping after a fairly long hiatus in regular activity. The Commando Blog is now back in full swing, providing firearms content from a variety of sources and SMEs, subject matter experts. You'll find articles related to firearms, including ancillary topics like gear, militaria, uh, combat medicine, fitness, lifestyle, video games, and even anime. As part of their ongoing revamp, they are always looking to bring on more writers. So if you're looking for a collaborative and creative platform for the internet firearms enthusiasts, you're a Spurg, you're a Shmi, you're an enthusiast, you're welcome to share your passions with them. If you'd like to do that, you can send an email to dawn at commandoblog.com. Again, dawn, Delta, Oscar, November, at commandoblog.com. That's commando with a K. And if you're not a writer, not a problem. Do check them out regardless. Fantastic articles there. Again, they are kicking off again. Check them out, commandoblog.com. That's commando with a K. And the last but certainly not least on my end, I do have to mention our merch store. We have an excellent merch store at the website now with a bunch of signed books that we have actually covered on the podcast that Bindu and I actually spent quite a bit of time getting up on the website. So we're very excited to have those available now. Uh, In addition to our world-famous Rhodesian lion horn mugs, actually made from a real water buffalo horn. Mine smells like coffee. Bindu smells like booze. We know who is the more responsible one here, but we use them on our everyday basis. We've used them now for like a few months now, and mm-hmm. I don't know how yours is holding up because you're, you're, a, you're a savage and a brood. I don't know what brews that you drink, but I use mine for coffee, and it actually it smells very nice, and 
It still lasted pretty well. We do strongly recommend that you guys wash them out before you use them, but yes, so they are actually, very good. Yeah, on that note, if you do have a lion mug or you want to buy one from there, again, they're made from real water buffalo horns with like our lion logo on it. Mm-hmm. Or sorry, the Rhodesian Army. They're made from real water buffalo horns with the Rhodesian Army lion logo on it. Those mugs are fantastic. It's highly recommended, as Bindu said, to wash them out, but make sure you also cure them so that, because uh, it's not porcelain, right? So you do need to kind of cure it. Um, just soak it with something that you like. And I like the smell of coffee, personally. What does your smell like right now? Probably smells a bit like beer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I wasn't, I wasn't joking. It's probably. So we know who is the more responsible one. Bindu. And who's the more fun one? <laughs> yeah, who's the more fun one? So, yeah, definitely um, cure it. So you just basically soak it in something. Mm-hmm. As in, like, just keep it full of something yeah. for a while, slowly sip it through the day. And Actually, yeah. a guy I know really recommends soaking it in, not that, but all horn mugs, in uh, Gatorade. So that's another tip. Yes. If you, uh, green Gatorade. Green Gatorade, specifically. Yep. If you uh, light one kind of out of a nice uh, apple sort of smell to it yeah so whatever whatever odor you like um the nice thing is because it's a like porous biological uh it's uh it's a it does it it's kind of porous so we'll bring in that smell in, yeah. in kind of a good way mm-hmm. right so yeah very cool mug very aesthetic and definitely something that'll last you for quite some time and you'll get some good use out of so definitely check it out and you can also always support us directly with all of our ventures uh, via our subscribe star or a direct or the direct donation page on our website at, at menamongmenstories.com or on our subscribe star which is also linked on our website your donations do go a long way this podcast is free and will always remain free so it helps us with all of the physical production that goes into this podcast all of our equipment interviews and future ventures that we are looking into yeah so today we are chatting with nicholas cunningham who's an active duty soldier with seven years of service under his belt based on some personal experiences of his own while wearing the uniform that he will discuss later in the audio and conversations he's had with other soldiers he decided to create tales from the grid square tftg or at tales underscore from underscore the underscore grid square on instagram the goal of tftg is to collect document and share anonymously the not normal experiences of those who serve everything is anonymous so people can tell their stories freely without ridicule or judgment anonymity is a huge part of this tftg is a grassroots movement and is engaged with almost entirely by word of mouth TFTG has stories from all of the U.S. branches except the Space Force and several foreign militaries, so Britain, Canada, Colombia, France, Philippines. He talks about a couple in Russia later. Uh, Everything from very mundane experiences to UFOs to hauntings to alleged encounters with Sasquatch and everything in between. So the weirder side of military life and military history. Uh, He has collected 240 of these stories into a book, Tales from the Grid Square, Volume 1. The book is available via Amazon with a planned Volume 2 and 3 in the works. I'm definitely going to get a copy of it, I can tell you that. Um, And if you've served or know someone who has served and has had an experience that he or she couldn't explain, 
DM the page at tails underscore from underscore the underscore grid square on Instagram or email tails from the grid square at gmail.com. All that being said, we hope you enjoy this special Halloween podcast. Hi, Nick. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good, Bindu. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's a pleasure to have you on here uh, for our special spooky Halloween episode. I'm here too. Yes. Hank from Fire Force Ventures. How are you doing, Nick? <laughs> How's it going, Hank? So yeah, Nick, why don't you uh, introduce yourself? We talked a bit about what you do at the beginning of the podcast, but why don't you just tell everybody who you are and what you're about and what Tales from the Grid Square is about? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm just a regular guy in the, you know, the, the, the military in the United States, the U.S. Army. And, you know, I got to say the the next part here, because people are crazy and like put too much into words. Uh, but like everything I talk about, everything I cover in my like little project and my books and stuff like that is like my opinion and not an opinion of like the U.S. government or the army or anything like that. Of course. So, I'm also just a regular army guy, so I don't know where the aliens are kept. I'm not a whistleblower or <laughs> any other what have you in there that people like like to make up about me. Yeah, um, yeah I've got I've got all sorts of stuff. People have believed. Uh, some people have claimed that I was like a special forces whistleblower, and I'm like, I must be the I must be the fattest special forces officer alive. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, no, I am a. Uh, I'm just a regular guy in the army. I'm a logistics guy. Um, but uh, I have had this longstanding uh, interest in the paranormal and kind of like like fringe topics and kind of like those weird topics that don't get covered by mainstream sciences and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the weirder, the better has always like attracted me. Uh, like ever since I was a kid, I had like a whole library of all these weird paranormal books of like UFOs and Bigfoot and stuff like that to you know like i would i'd start going on the dreaded 4chan website uh to go on to the their paranormal like blog board and just x. read some of the stuff on there yeah a good old good old x um funny fact about that if you ever thought that x was just nothing but pure schizo nonsense i uh long time ago read a story uh on there that was like pretty creepy you know like like this guy saw like some like pale humanoid creature in the woods in North America. Uh, and fast forward like 10 years later, uh, or whenever he posted it, I can't remember when exactly, but, uh, I'm not gonna say who it was, but I spoke to that guy about like his, like he described his experience on his own podcast. And I was like, dude, I remember reading that like so many years ago. Like, so you never know, like some of that stuff on there is pretty crazy, but some of it might be real. Oh yeah, no. Yeah, definitely. It was, uh, I'm also very well versed in internet culture and stuff like that. So, you know, I like to take a, like, a, I guess like a, a different like angle to like the paranormal stuff. Uh, uh, I don't have a TikTok. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I know that's like the new thing for everyone right now, but I'm getting off track. I'll get back to it. But yeah, I've had this longstanding interest in the paranormal. Uh, I was in the military. I, I have had prior to the military and I guess like uh, prior to the, prior to me starting tales from the grid square uh have had like instances where i would describe as like paranormal uh for like i lived in some like places that i swear were haunted growing up um i've uh you know my parents have seen ufos i have seen i have seen a legit ufo out at sea and i'll stand by that 
Um, like, and I'm talking like, there's nothing that could have like been what I saw out at sea. So that really kind of like hammered home. Like there's things in this world we don't, or out of this world, even that we don't really understand. And this, this kind of like spurned on my interest. Uh, and so fast forward, I'm currently stationed, uh, in Hawaii and uh, I was on a training exercise back at Louisiana. Um, and when I was in Louisiana, I, uh, I, so I had like some instances that happened to me that I was just like, huh, that was, that was kind of weird. Uh, one of them being like, I've told it a couple of times, uh, like I was at my tent late at night. This is like super late. I think it was like one or three in the morning. Um, and I'm sitting there like taking off my boots under red light. And, uh, like I'm one of the like last ones awake and, you know, I have like my own little individual tent, uh, and everyone else is in their little tents, like sleeping away from me. I've like being the rebel wanted to sleep away by myself. Uh, so I'm further along down the line away from everyone. And, uh, while I'm down there, I, uh, and like taking off my boots, I'm like isolated. I'm at the edge of basically the sea wire, like where this, the sea wire, honestly, it was, a, this was a sustainment unit. So not very professional, not very good at defense, but, uh, you could have easily walked over it. Like I'll just leave it at that. So I'm sitting there and then all of a sudden, like a pine cone falls at my feet. And I, you know, of course I think nothing of it because I'm sitting under a pine cone tree, mm-hmm. like, whatever. So I'm going back, I'm taking off my boots and another one falls. I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. Uh, this like pine, this tree must be dropping a lot of pine cones. The wind must be blowing. And I get this inkling to look up and I look up. And as I look up, this pine cone nails me straight in the face. And like, I instantly am like, what the fuck? And I turn off my light and I like, get in my tent and I like lay down as low as I can. And I'm half expecting like the op four. If you didn't know the op four at Fort Polk for the army is very good at what they do because they do it so much. So like these guys sneak into, you know, uh, the training units bases all the time, just because they've done it so many times, they know all the tricks. And so like, I'm sitting there like, oh, great. I'm about to get pulled out of my tent and just, I'll never be able to live this down. And, you know, nothing happens, but like a ton of pine cones and rocks start hitting my tent. And like, I would say at least like eight or nine, maybe. And they're like pelting my tent small little little pebbles too nothing like very big and i was like what is going on this is fucking creepy like i'm sitting there with my knife and i'm like oh great i'm gonna have to fight someone i bet um they're gonna take this too far and it just stops i was like oh that was really weird uh i wake up the next morning and i kind of like went and told the the s2 the intel officer about it and they they kind of reported it that morning in like the morning brief and uh the the observer coaches that are the, the OCTs, they're there to like kind of control the situation, like and coach, like keep the situation going, like the scenario going. They were like, "Why are you talking about the op four wasn't here last night? We would have known." Um, like, like don't this is irrelevant. Don't brief it. And I just thought that was kind of weird. Like very adamant that the op four was nowhere near our base that night. They were all engaged fighting other people throughout the night, and. Uh, so it kind of became like a running gag about these pine coast stone. But what was weird was uh, further down the line of seawire where everybody else was sleeping, they all reported that too. They were like, oh yeah, there was something throwing stuff at our tents last night. And uh, even the XO that he was like a major was like, yeah, like there's like something throwing like good sized rocks, like, like softball sized rocks at my tent. I actually went out there and was like, Hey, what the fuck? Like stop throwing fucking rocks. And like, heard something moving through the brush or something like that i can't remember exactly uh because fucking i was super tired during that like the rest of that 
Uh, but so I, I had that experience. And I had some other stuff too there. Like I saw orbs. Like I saw like these big balls of like bright blues, reds, and like like lights that aren't like associated with military aircraft, like silently moving through the trees in certain areas. Mm-hmm. Um, which I was like, and I was sitting there and I was like, people were like, oh, that's just the fireflies. And I'm like, well, I'm looking at the fireflies right in front of me. And they're not glowing the same color and intensity as these things. And they're not a drone because the drones they use there are loud as hell, like any other Mavic Pro drone. Um, so like, what are those things? So fast forward again, I come back back to Hawaii. My neighbor is actually in the same exercise with me. And my neighbor um, said, my neighbor, I kind of like told him like, hey, like, did you see something weird? Well, I guess let me backtrack. I, I started looking into like weird things at Fort Polk. And like, if, for those that don't know, Fort Polk is like apparently infamous. Like I wouldn't say infamous, but like has amongst the soldiers there, there is the legend of something known as the box witch, right? And the box witch can mean like different things. So the box witch is either a literal person, like a literal witch that lived in the the training area before it was a training area and haunts the training area. So Mm -hmm. like people report like seeing like a woman in a white, this woman that like will tap on your window of your Humvee late at night that she'll steal your stuff. She always takes like one mm-hmm. item out of like a set. So if like you have two boots, you're going to lose your left boot or your right glove or something like that. Something weird. Um, or the box, witch is this like all encompassing term for like just the collective weird stuff that happens in like Fort Polk. And I, I can get into that later, but uh, anyway, I was talking to my neighbor about it and I mentioned, like, Hey, did you like see anything weird? And then he was like, what do you mean? And I described to him my pine cone incident in the orbs and he kind of goes gets like real serious and he's kind of like a stoic guy uh he's not like one of those ones to like show emotion uh just you know that's just who he is not because he's in the military and like he became like he started becoming like visibly like distressed like to the like not like he was freaking out or anything like but like i could tell like something was on his mind that was bugging me and i asked him like did you see anything there and he was like he was like, yeah, like I, uh, he said, like, I had that same thing happen to me. And I was like, oh, when? He was like the like first or second night, the same night as me. And it turns out we kind of like did the math on like a map real quick. Where I was sleeping was at the top of a ravine. Um, and where he was sleeping was on the direct opposite side of that ravine, about 400 meters, like if he did like a straight line. And so he had the same thing happen to him. He was sleeping away from everyone and just had like, pine cones and rocks thrown at his tent all night and he was like what the fuck is going on out there but it gets even weirder for him so he goes to a place at fort polk so it's called geronimo dz it's a huge like drop zone for airborne operations it's like massive like open field out there um but there's like all these little towns and stuff like that that they like go to seas and everything like they're all connected with tunnels kind of it's a weird place is what i want to get at is it's a place that like when i've come to do research and talk to people there like weird stuff always happens as you're on road DZ. So same scenario for him again. He was sleeping in a spot away from everyone else. Uh, and they were there for, I think, like two or three days. Um, because unfortunately, like, I think a lot of times, like people see stuff and it gets like kind of pushed to the side because like, especially in a place like Fort Polk, like you're constantly on the move. By the time you set your stuff up, you're getting ready to tear it down and move to a new place. Um, so while they were there though, he said that they started hearing stuff in the woods, like uh, weird. He's like, I'm from West Virginia. Like, I know what a bear, coyote, a fox. I know what all these animals sound like because I've hunted them. I've lived in the woods. 
And like what I heard out there was not anything like that. It was not a deer. It was not a person. It was like this screeching, howling, crying noise. And they all like him and a couple other soldiers started hearing it. And then soldiers started seeing like, like this like large humanoid figure that he described as that he, he just, some soldiers said it was hairy running and peeking out between the trees, like way deep into the wood line. Cause like the woods out there are pretty thick in Southern Louisiana. Um, and they, they started seeing these things and he's like, I know it wasn't just me because one time I was watching this thing, like Turkey peak and like run quickly between trees and a group of soldiers, like maybe a hundred feet from me, were like, dude, do you see that thing? What the fuck is that? Like, you see that shit? Like, yo, let's get out of here. Like people acknowledging it was there. Um, and so he said the last night they were there though, he was sleeping in his tent and uh, he woke up and he heard something moving to him towards him. And when he looked outside of his tent, it was like a full moon. So he had a good illumination. He saw this like, like black shape, like looming over him, this massive black shape. And he's like, he's like six foot one. Like he's a pretty big guy too. And he's like sitting there like, this thing was bigger than me. He's like, what the fuck is this thing? It's like looming over his tent. Like he could tell it's like looking in there. He's like holding his knife. Like he's like, I'm ready to stab whatever this thing is. And it actually like bends down and he can hear it like breathing and like sniffing at his tent. Like, and it's just like, kind of like looking inside. Like, I guess like maybe like trying to figure out if there's something in there or like what it even is. Cause like we have these, it's camouflage, like this little light, this like little camouflage tent. Yeah. And it like stands, it stands up and he's like, this thing is like looming over the tent. He's like, it's huge. It's bigger than me. And it just turns around and like walks into the wood line. And he is like freaking the fuck out the rest of the night. Like, he's like, I didn't sleep. I sat there with my knife. Like I was like ready for the, like soon as like light broke, I got up and I, I tore my shit down and I fucking ran to a truck. And I was just like, the, his experience combined, like kind of related to what I saw. And my, my, my story is pretty like boring to be honest. But, like, the connection there, like, got me thinking, like, oh, Bigfoot, right? As we talked earlier off, off air. Um, and I was, like, thinking about it. I was looking into it. And I was, like, asking. So, like, on Instagram, there's all these, like, internet meme pages, right? And there's, like, uh, for every niche in the U.S. Army, there's a meme page for it. And so I was talking to, like, people from that actual area who were, like, there, who are either OCTs or, like, the op for like, hey, have you guys seen weird stuff out there? And they're like, more or less like confirm, like, yes, there's weird stuff that people report out there. They themselves hadn't seen it directly. Um, but they like, I kind of got me thinking like, okay, like what else are people holding mm-hmm. on? Because you guys, you guys might know, like, you know, there's everyone always has these like weird stories and like weird, like when the mood is just right, like at the smoke pit or like late at night on staff duty or like in the field when you're like standing guard or something like that, like these like little, like, you know, I've seen some weird stuff stories like kind of slip out and then they kind of like get brushed off like real quick. Um, Skinwalker. And I, yeah. Like, like, skinwalker. what is it? What is it with the entire U S military and skinwalkers is a meme? Like, yeah, you know, super uh, yeah. And so like, that's where there is. So like on one of the, two of these meme pages, um, that actually helped get me going. They, they would, during COVID every Tuesday or Thursday, I think they were doing like, uh, they were like collecting like people's stories and just like reposting the screenshots of the conversation. And like, there are some ones that like, honestly, like those stories that they posted are pretty, were pretty freaky. Like some people have some pretty freaky stories. 
and experiences while they were in the military or like while they were training or like on mission or deployed. And so like one night I was drinking and I had a couple of beers and I was like, you know what, like, what if I made a page that like I could collect these stories and like, you know, like share them with people like, and I could, I do it anonymously. So people are, you know, not afraid to come forward and say these things and get like laughed at or said they're crazy or anything like that. So, um, I put it together, call it tales from the grid square. Cause I couldn't think of it any name sometime. I had like an old, uh, old Twitter page that was con- grid square confessionals or something like that, which was just me like, you know, messing around on like military like websites and like kind of lurking on other militaries websites on Twitter, I guess. And so I, that was like my, my spin on it. And I kind of just like started it and started like soliciting around for stories and trying to grow the page because, you know, it's not really, I don't really make any money off the page, but it's like for every a hundred people that follows, I might get like 10 that have like a story to share. Um, and sometimes like even like people that follow me from day one, don't even tell me a story until like, you know, a year later, they're like, I actually want to share with you this. Um, because you know, it's, uh, I keep it anonymous. I scrub it. I tell them like, don't keep it as vague as you want. Like, you know, some people want as much detail, uh, as possible. And I tell them purposely keep it like vague. So it can't be traced back to you and just focus on like, like the incident itself. Uh, and then I'm, I'm very big on just like, I don't divulge people's identities unless they want to like, you know, you can tag me in this. I want you to tag me in this. Um, so but that's like kind of like the big thing. And I, it started off pretty small. Uh, I was, I, I had some people help me out, like some of the other, you know, military niche pages kind of like get the word out and stories started coming in slowly, but surely um, it was at a point where like, I was worried that if I did a post every day, I would run out of stories. Um, but I got, I was able to get on to Sasquatch Chronicles, Wes Grimmer, Sasquatch Chronicles. And we talked about like the box, Witch, and like, you know, he kind of revealed to me that there is actually, he's actually gotten quite a bit of stories from service members off the air, um, that didn't want to go on record about, you know, seeing Sasquatch and weird crap in Fort Polk, Louisiana. Uh, so that was also pretty interesting and that really helped get my word out because he has a massive follower base and I'm forever grateful for that. And that kind of like got the ball really, really rolling. And so the more stories started flowing in, uh, and then I went on Tony Merkel's the confessionals podcast and Tony Merkel's has also another massive like follower following base. And we recorded like three episodes, I think, like, (laughs) I think we talked for like four hours straight. It was insane. Um, and you know, after that, like, I guess it's like been an out of control train and I've gone from like a thousand followers to like 60,000 followers in a blink of an eye. I don't even know how. Um, and I think right now I have, I have enough stories. I could post one, one story every single day and for like a whole year if I wanted to. So it's pretty crazy how fast it's grown. And it's also even crazier how many people in the service uh, actually have like a story of weird instances, everything you can think of from like, you know, kind of like mundane hauntings, like weird haunted, haunted barracks rooms to like full on encounters with like, like you said, skinwalkers and crazy shit. Like I've, I've had some crazy stories come across my table. And, um, we, well, you engaged with me initially, not actually not with, yeah, that's right. 
Bindu is going to probably take over this podcast because you're the nerd. And, and he's got, actually got like a crypto zoology encyclopedia in front of him right now. I'm not trying to be on camera for that, but it was, it's, he's, he's a total nerd about this stuff, but you engaged me initially um, looking for some stories from particularly the Rhodesian Bush war. And, uh, and then I, I kind of hooked you up with, with uh, Bindu here because he's, he's the shmi on this kind of stuff. Um I, I don't know if I mentioned it to you when you first engaged with us, well, with me rather, uh, at the fire force side of things, but, um, you know, I haven't heard any like direct kind of creepy ghost or supernatural stories, but definitely Zimbabwe is known as in the, I guess the paranormal world or supernatural events with the, and it happened kind of just shortly after the Bush war, the, um, the alien incident, I don't know if you're familiar with that in the school, the school children where all these school kids inexplicably wigged out after uh, they're they're like basically the teachers found them all crying and they had been visited by aliens and they all told the exact same story. And decades on uh, the, the kids were telling the exact same stories decades on they're, they're all like in their forties and fifties now. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and that's, you know, that's fucking creepy. Yeah, that was a that was a really weird one. That's a pretty like nationally known one from you know what's what's often not mentioned is that this was a school that was primarily made up of uh, white kids, so they they were probably all like sons or daughters of Rhodesian Bush Force service members or guys that had served. Um, it was a private school, and you know there's there's kind of some like I guess controversy and and back and forth you know there's there's always the skeptics about this obviously this was like in this case it was like a private school um in the case of like the the whole skinwalker thing it is kind of a meme (laughs) like it it has kind of become a meme where it's it's like a tacit uh acceptance of the of like skinwalker creatures and stuff but there is uh i i kind of like personally have a skeptical angle of this i've had my like fair share of weird experiences in the military um i guess i'll can i share one sure or do you want to get right into your nerd business? Yeah, please. no no, no, no. Okay. go ahead i'm gonna share one um it's really weird i don't know if i've told you this one been do actually i think i have it's the the the, the curse porta potty you ever heard this <laughs> okay so anyways we're the canadian forces base wainwright which is a super big training area. It's a, it's a significant training area for the Canadian forces, um, Canadian army in particular, like just thousands of people are rotated out of there every year. It's one of our primary training areas in the West. It's just like a big prairie, right? It's the best way to describe yeah. this. A few blips of wooded areas. Uh, they actually burn down a bunch of it in like a controlled burn to desertify it Mm -hmm. to make it look like Afghanistan for certain parts of it. Like it's a big, it's a huge training area. And um, it was one of our exercises a few years ago out there where this guy that was actually on, on one of my basic BMQL course and I were doing a night picket from what like everybody had told us, the op four was done. So there was op four for this scenario. We were in like West gear, which is the equivalent of uh, 
what are you guys miles right in the in the u.s yeah so we had we had what was called our west system which is just like slightly more advanced so basically for those that don't know it's like a laser system that detects when the blank rounds hit you and then you you beep when you die right and there's there's scenario trainers out there with um with god guns that can resurrect you now i noticed like they're basically like the referees for like a combat scenario they'll say like oh you're dead we hear you beeping you're dead and then they can resurrect you right? mm-hmm. so when you die you have to like lie there and be dead play dead yeah which is quite pleasant so they'll they'll come by and resurrect you and they're actually controlling the whole situation right they got radio with the op for like hey you guys should flank them here they'll, they'll actually tell op for kind of what to do mm-hmm. uh, because generally speaking the op for people are there on a tasking they're not unlike the u.s army where there is an actual op for unit right i think they're whatever it's like a company strength of dedicated op for guys i know in fort polk there are and they have like their yeah. own uniforms and customs and you know we we don't have that generally it's just like people like fresh off basic right not even soldier qualification or bmql it's like straight off basic or random people that are like supply dudes that have just been tasked to to do the job because it's kind of fun to just play the enemy right and you, you always lose at the end of the day so you just have some fun with it but <laughs> um i noticed that when we were doing this night picket where we're just kind of walking around and uh the the combat controller guys these guys with the god guns were asleep i could see that because there were three of them we knew who they were because they had you know very distinctive a very distinctive van like with all these green vehicles around they're the only guys in the big blue van right like one of those uh what is it like kidnapper vans <laughs> it's, yeah, it's yeah. like very obvious and they mm-hmm. got like untinted windows and stuff and we could see them they're all like cuddled up in there in the back of their van sleeping and we're walking around doing this fire picket and uh i'm like okay there's probably no op for because if there was op for and i've seen it before they're they're not in their van they're they're in the bush with op for telling them you know flank here spin around here cloverleaf there recce there uh so these guys were asleep it was like i think the last day of the op they hadn't officially declared index yet it wasn't the end but we were getting there and uh, we're walking around and fire team partner, buddy, who is a little sleep deprived to be fair, saw what appeared to be like eyes, right. In the middle of like our, our, um, our camp, like just, it was like either we're not really sure what the heck was going on. It was red. Now we had red light um, headlamps on because we didn't want to like, because we had no illumination that night. We're like mm-hmm. talking pitch black night, right? With probably overcast. We couldn't see, there was no moon cover. There was nothing. Uh, we did not really have our, our night eyes yet. So we we're just like, yeah, we're just going to go red light, walk around. We're probably not going to get bumped. There's no op for. And he sees just like what he said was like two pairs of eyes. And he's like, bro, do you, like, do you see that? And I'm like, no, I don't see that. And then, and then like, as, as we walk closer to, um a set of porta potties <laughs> like i actually started seeing uh like just a figure almost with red like some sort some sort of red figure now that could have been our shadow but i'm not sure how that would be your shadow and by the way just to give some context additional context to 
Wainwright, like because it's such a big training area and there's a lot of live fire exercise and stuff like people have died there. People have got injured there. A lot of soldiers that fought in World War II passed through there as a prisoner of war camp once when it was back in the days when it was Camp Wainwright. So this is kind of a weird, big training area. It's people call it cursed for other reasons because it's kind of a crappy area. But like, <laughs> I was just like, I, I, I'm typically, you know, focused on working and not like looking for ghosts, right? None of us in the military ever. Yeah, right. Typically ghost hunt or look for squatch. But yeah, I saw like a, like a figure and it was uh, in front of the porta potties. I just assumed like, oh, just it's somebody like taking a dump, right? Cause it wasn't super late. It must've been like only like 1 AM, which is not that bad. Cause like that whole exercise, we hadn't really been sleeping too much. And I'm just like, I'm just tired. And someone's probably just taking a dump and I'm like, bro, it's probably nothing. I remember I had like my, my rifle in one hand cliff bar in the other chilling. And then um, all of a sudden, like I look down and buddy's still looking at this thing and he's walking towards it. And I'm, I'm kind of trailing behind him lazily. Cause I'm like, we're not going to get bumped. I don't care anymore. And all of a sudden he starts screaming, it's coming at me. It's coming at me. And uh, dumps an entire magazine blanks into it. <laughs> uh, later it's discovered he actually like killed some of our command staff, but it was like <laughs> a vengeful, friendly fire spirit. I looked up and I, I remember like there was just, it was more red. It was more like red lights. It was weird. Right. And I, I don't know if it was just him yelling or him shooting and, I didn't fire. I was just, I was like flabbergasted. I actually, you know, I took my rifle off safe and stuff. And I was like, you know, I was finger actually on the trigger, ready to engage whatever it was. But I'm just like, my, my logical brain is like, there's no op for like, also we have blanks. If this is real, what are blanks going to do? You yeah. know? And I'm just thinking like, right. This, this is not good. And um, we ended up having a stand too for the rest of the night. We woke everybody else up and they weren't too pleased with it. There was a whole investigation because uh, we had, U.S. National Guard dudes with us. I don't remember from what, I think probably Washington State, I want to say. So we had a bunch of, uh, no, this would have started South Dakota, South Dakota National Guard. And uh, yeah, they they did like a whole investigation on it. And they're asking me about these like red lights. And it was weird. Like, I was just like, I, I don't know what the hell it was. I just know I didn't shoot at it because whatever it was, um, And by the way, they also did like an investigation, like was because it was like technically like a training incident, friendly fire. Um, Was there actually someone in the porta potties that had that like didn't let us know as the fire picket they're going? And there was like no nobody because everybody was still and there was no op for in the area. Combat like controller people knew that. And uh, yeah, it was I don't know what the heck that thing was, but I did like see I wasn't like it was coming at me, but. You saw a shape. I heard him scream like, like, like he believed it, whatever it was. I didn't see it. And by the way, I'm like one foot away from him. I'm just behind him. Right. But I could see, and I don't think that porta potties are particularly reflective. Now it was later discovered that we were actually standing right in front of the porta potties, but it was like, there was like a figure there. Mm -hmm. Right. And there shouldn't, everybody should have been asleep. So there is weird shit happening everywhere. And uh, I don't, I don't really know what the heck happened there. 
I was more thinking like I'm gonna get eaten by something. <laughs> Buddy thought that it was just like opt for, but I I don't know. I don't now. Just looking back, it's been many years now, but just looking back at that incident, it was it was kind of strange. And uh, when you're in that environment, um, you know your message got me thinking back to that. Your initial message to Fire Force got me thinking back to that incident, and uh, just these guys, when they are seeing things like this, or especially if they're seeing things like this overseas, uh, it can definitely rally you. You could be the biggest man among men and you're not, you're not really looking for this. You're focused on your work, whatever it happens to be, whether you're a supply guy or you're a machine gun, you are focused on your work generally out there. You're focusing on your field craft and all of a sudden, there's something from the great beyond yeah. and you're engaging with that. And it can be quite unsettling. Yeah. As I said before, no one, no one is briefed for ghosts, UFOs, aliens, monsters, cryptids. Like yeah. no one, no one is taught how to handle that. It's just not training that. Um, and just to give sort of my own, a bit of personal background, I've never experienced anything personally. I would say that is, paranormal or weird but like you nick i have a long interest in this since i was a kid when i was a kid actually one of the first books i ever read like remember reading was about bigfoot yeti and the loch ness monster and i just in my school library like devoured all the books that were kind of on that subject and i sort of got into what's called cryptozoology at a young age which is kind of focused on things like Bigfoot and sea serpent, more mundane things as well, but on hidden animals. And I know a lot about it. And while I would not call myself an expert on UFOlogy or ghosts or stuff, I'm no slouch in those areas either. And, um, and I've always been, you know, very interested in encounters that military or law enforcement or first responders have with kind of paranormal phenomena. Cause you're already under a very high stress job. You're already dealing with lots of stuff that like ordinary people don't have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. And then you just get launched into the twilight zone when you encounter some of this stuff. And it's like, I, I agree kind of with what you were saying earlier, Hank, like I sometimes do take a skeptical opinion on some of it. Hel- some healthy dose, of healthy dose of skepticism. Sometimes, oh, yeah. sometimes look for, I guess, sort of, the conventional explanation first, but I don't think anyone could deny there's some weird stuff out there. And um, I think we owe it to soldiers and people like that in high stress situations to share their stories. Cause I mean, they're, they, they encounter weird stuff sometimes. At worst, it's just like an interesting story. And yeah. Best, it's like, yeah. Oh, we found Squatch. Yeah. Well, and I was, I was about to say, Nick, you were mentioning the, uh, the pine cone story. Um, I remember there used to be a show on um, the history channel called monster quest. Now, many of the sort of paranormal shows, I mean, their primary thing is to entertain. They often kind of in many cases exaggerate things, but I do remember they had an episode called Sierra Sasquatch where they had a couple of um, I think army reservists on and who were talking about while they were doing a training exercise in the Sierras at night. And they saw two figures who they assumed were op four until they higher up on a ridge until they noticed that they didn't have any gear. They didn't weren't carrying guns. And then one of them stood up 
and it was like seven foot tall. So, oh geez, yeah, people do encounter like things out there, uh, whether it's cryptids or ghosts or UFOs. Like, there's there's a long history of people in the military, American military and otherwise, encountering all this stuff. Oh yeah, and like, like you know, you're right. You have to keep like a, a skeptic's eye for these things because, um, you know, I, I have a a good friend and mentor this that uh you know it's like you know footprints of bigfoot right like there's thousands of footprints of bigfoot out there you know and he's like you have to assume all of those are fake because if even one of them is real then all of them have to be real and that's not possible yeah so yeah if you like i don't know there's and there's people that just make stuff up too um or there's just stuff like people it's just mistaken identity like oh, i saw this ufo in the sky it wasn't a satellite. I'm like, well, it was Starlink. Yeah. Because I, I can go look up the date and Starlink was over this area. Yeah. You know. Well, and also like, you, I don't know if anyone, if you've ever heard an elk call, but those at night can sound. Like, oh, yeah. 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 Crazy. I think or there's. Boxes. Yeah. Boxes are really scary. Yes. Yeah, so, well, even coyotes, if you don't know what you're listening to. Yeah. Um, I think there's a healthy sort of middle ground between like. Michael Shermer extreme skepticism, everything's fake, everything's a hoax, etc. And like someone who believes every story. Like, I think we need to be respectful to everyone who tells, you know, comes and shares weird experiences, uh, especially people who, you know, again, are already in a high stress position, like police, military, firefighters, first responders, because a lot of, uh, you know, park rangers, a lot of those people are where some of these stories come from. But yeah, we that sort of middle ground, I think, is the correct path. And um, we talked a bit about that in our first uh, one of one of our first podcasts, which was um, and we go on by Will R. Bird. Will R. Bird in the book mentions a number of times how he encounters the ghost of his dead brother. Yeah. So for little more context for those that haven't listened to that episode i think that's episode four that absolutely is episode, yeah, episode four. four of our podcast uh basically in 1915 his brother who is serving in the canadian expeditionary force in some regiment over in france is blown up by a german artillery shell uh he's vaporized the the only like remains are a boot with his name on it that his comrades find he discovers this in a letter that his brother is missing in action presumed dead and it's because he's been completely like vaporized right and he gets a letter from this guy saying like hey um your your brother was killed i was there and he you know there's there's nothing left i'm sorry and uh will at this point actually like right before he receives this letter um is working on a farm he's a farmhand he actually tries to enlist with his brother but because of his teeth uh his teeth are not very good so they the army rejects him now very quickly they start taking on everybody with bad teeth it doesn't they realize like it it doesn't really matter we need bodies on the front lines but because he's back home he's just working in a farm he's not really thinking about his brother he's fairly close to him but not like you know, devoted to him, right? They've lived kind of separate lives. He lives in a completely different part of the country. Um, you know, they're both like young adults. 
and his brother's gone off to fight this war that he doesn't really follow or care too much about. But all of a sudden that he's working in this field, he has this like first supernatural encounter where he, and he swears by it. Like he sees his brother in the equipment of a soldier as he would have appeared in 1915, which is very different from what yeah. Will our bird would have been wearing when he was overseas. And the, the brother like is, kind of just there and he, he has this like feeling that his brother's been killed right he has this like like feeling and there's there's tons of stories from the great war of like family members in their house and typically you'd have a big portrait of your son that was overseas and there's a lot of these stories i've read a few um you know the, i they're all anecdotal right and anecdotal how do you say it and anecdotal 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 right uh take them with a grain of salt, but there's a very common story where the, the portrait of a soldier falls off the wall and it just smashes on the ground. And there's like a feeling that, yeah, this person's been killed in action. Right. Uh, and it's, yeah, it, it, these could be like kind of coincidental or it could be, you know, just something something's actually supernatural happening, but this is a very common story. But in, in Will R. Bird's case, he legitimately like sees his brother almost like the moment he is killed in action. Yeah. Right. And then a few days later, he gets all the telegrams and the messages like, Hey, you need to come back home. Your brother's been killed. Uh, he enlists and he just, he constantly sees his brother, whether in weird situations where he's actually on leave in, in London briefly um, he encounters like a family that happened to know his brother and then they incidentally get killed in a air raid in, in 1918, a Zeppelin air raid or 1917 or something. 18 would have been a Gotha bomber. Probably, yeah, so, but, yeah. so 1917, they get killed in a Zeppelin raid and not that many people were killed in a Zeppelin raid, but it just so happens to be like the family that knew his brother and like had like weird ghostly experiences with the brother too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he sees him most interestingly in combat on multiple occasions and sometimes like it's just he catches a glimpse of his brother and he looks over and his brother is always wearing the the gear of a soldier in 1915 so no helmet no no gas mask um generally not without any gear at all and just just standing there like smiling or beckoning him along and then next thing you know his buddy beside him has been shot in the head right Mm -hmm. or killed or something or one of them's hit with an axe like it's 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 really uncan- uh, quite strange and uncanny. There's um, obviously the main book he wrote, and we go on. We've covered that in the podcast. Will Arbert actually in his lifetime, in I think in 1968, published a, like a second follow-up book, which is unlike And We Go On, which is a chronological kind of month-by-month following of his service. It's a traditional war. war memoir. Yeah, traditional war memoir. This was uh, Ghost of Warm Hands is certainly more of a just collection of short stories. I know there's been a there's been a few follow-up anthologies because Will Arbert was a professional writer, so he wrote for different magazines and stuff and Legion magazine and um, at, at different times wrote different short stories. So this Will, Ghost of Warm Hands is just like a collection of different short stories he has. And there's another one called the a soldier's place, but ghosts of ghosts have warm hands as the, as the title implies, there's, there's a pretty uh, dramatic incident, almost 
you know, all these other instances I mentioned are in their own right, quite dramatic and really strange and very specific, but there's one that there's almost like this chill that goes over everybody that either interacts with Will, Will our bird right after the incident or um, basically like, and also obviously it affects him uh, pretty profoundly. And it's, it's quite strange because it doesn't like save his life. It's not like in a situation where he's under fire or anything, or he's like thinking about his brother. Um, and there's, there's, you know, in a way there's like people that also feel it with him, which is, which is quite weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially if you think about, well, I guess we'll, we should just go right into the excerpt here that, uh, that this comes right out of Ghosts of Warm Hands, and it's the it's you know as the title implies, it's his his brother's warm hands uh, engage with him in a in a kind of weird way. As we went back and drew near the railway embankment, someone called in a low voice. I went over and found two of the men from the seventy third had dug a neat bivy into the embankment. They were very decent chaps and insisted they had made the place wide enough to accommodate the three of us. We snuggled in and with a ground sheet pegged to hold over our heads. We were really comfortable. In seconds, I was dead to the world. The ground sheet pegged over our heads, was pulled free, and fell on my face, rousing me. Then a firm, warm hand seized one of mine and pulled me up to a sitting position. It was very early, as first sunshine was glittering on the dew-wet grass. I was annoyed that I should have to do some chore after being out so late. I tried to pull free, but the grip held. And as I came to a sitting up position, my other hand was seized and I had a look at my visitor. In an instant, I was out of the bivy, so surprised I could not speak. I was face to face with my brother, Steve, who had been killed in 15. The first notice from the war office had said, missing, believed dead. After a time, one of his mates wrote to say a boot had been found with his name on it. The Germans had mined the Canadian trench and blown it up. Steve grinned as he released my hands then put his warm hand over my mouth as I started to shout my happiness. He pointed to the sleepers in the bivy and to my rifle and equipment. Get your gear, he said softly. As I grabbed it, he turned and started walking away rapidly. It was hard to keep up with him. We passed makeshift shelters filled with sleeping men in my platoon. No one was awake. Now and then a gun fired off toward the Somme or a machine gun chattered, but on the whole it was a quiet morning. As soon as we were past the shelters, I hurried to get close to Steve. Why didn't you write mother, I asked. He turned and the grin was still in his face. Wait, he said. Don't talk yet. Then I noticed he had a soft cap on and no gas mask or equipment. Somehow he had learned where the 42nd was, an RD company. But how in the world did he know where I was sleeping? We left the company area and headed directly into a collection of ruins that had been Petit Vimy. There's no one around here, I said. How did you know where to find me? At that moment, my equipment slung hurriedly over one shoulder, slipped off and fell to the ground before I could catch it. As I stooped and retrieved it, Steve went into a passageway in the ruins and I ran to catch him. Arrived there, I saw one way went right and the other left. Which way had he gone? Steve, I called. There was no answer, so I dropped my rifle and gear and ran to the right. It only took minutes, two or three, to get to the far side but there was no sign of my brother. I ran back and called again, took the way to the left, searched and searched again, called repeatedly, but could not find him. Finally, I sat down on my equipment and leaned back against a bit of wall. 
I was tired and sweating and excited. A great desire to find our officer and get the day off took hold of me, but I realized I did not know where the officer sergeant major were. And if I left the immediate area and Steve returned, he would not know where I had gone. Probably he had no pass and did not want to be seen. If only I had not bothered with my equipment, I could have kept up with him. Minutes went by. I got up and made another search of the ruins. The sun began to glisten on the tops of the broken walls. I settled back more comfortably on my equipment and heard the usual morning stir of guns firing registering shots. The sun got warmer. I dozed. Suddenly I was shaken awake. Tommy had me by the arm was yelling, he's here, Bill's here. I stumbled up, dazed, looked at my watch. It was nine o'clock. What's made you come here, Tommy was asking. What happened? What's all the row about, I countered. You should know, they're digging around that bivy you were in. All they found is Jim's helmet and one of Bob's legs. Legs, I echoed stupidly. What do you mean? Don't you know a big shell landed in that bivy? They've been trying to find something of you. It seemed utterly incredible. I put on my gear and followed Tommy. There was a great cavity in the embankment and debris was scattered over the whole area. Mickey came running to shake hands with me. Then the sergeant was calling and I saw he was talking with an officer. When we got nearer, I saw it was an artillery officer of high rank and saluted him. What made you leave the bivy? The sergeant asked. The boys say you got in there with Jim and Bob. I did, I said. I was there till daylight. What made you leave then? It was the artillery officer who asked the question, and I hesitated, felt it would sound foolish if I told him exactly what had happened. Don't be afraid, he said. We're all friends. He looked a real gentleman, so I told him my story in detail. He made notes in a book he carried, asking my name, where I was from, and all about Steve. Then he shook my hand. You've had a wonderful experience, he said. So that's quite a long excerpt, but quite a poignant one about this guy's dead brother, basically saving his life happens more than once yeah it happens a lot actually yeah. in but the, his career the, this one was strange in that like his brother like grabs him awake and is just like come on grab your kit yeah and just right? leads him away from danger it's quite interesting at the end of that that the officer who and obviously everybody has this perception of officers in the first world war as very I guess, detached people that are far behind the lines, especially if they're of higher rank, the whole lions led by donkey mythos. Uh, this guy that like normally would just be like, this soldier basically just like went AWOL. He's, he doesn't have his gear on. He's dropped it. He's asleep somewhere else, right? Where he previously was, um, had been shelled obviously, but he's like, he's all messed up. He basically slept walk to another location and, rather than like expressing any semblance of doubt, it's just like, this is such a, you know, these are such weird times. Like that's, that was probably your brother. And they all shake his hands and just say like, you've had a great experience. You know, you, your brother was there. Your brother was looking out for you. Well, like you said, uh, uh, very poignant for sure. Yeah, Nick. And I was just wondering if you've come across any stories of similar things where of soldiers who've been helped out by, a uh, a former member of the services, whether related to them or not. Yeah, um, so <clears throat> nothing like to that dramatic effect, but I've gotten stories from people that uh, claim to have seen like their friends um, killed in combat or had died uh, like with them in the moments. Uh, one of our dramatic ones actually was there's those ships a while back that uh, got 
had a collision at sea and flooded and almost sank. I think it might've been the Porter, um, if I recall correctly, but one of the crew members told me as he, he was in the area that was flooding and they were like struggling to like close the hatches and like, you know, stop the ship from sinking. And um, he got trapped in in between two compartments uh, as the water was flooding in. And um, as he was like struggling to get out and, you know, stuff's like holding him down and like the water's rising, he says he turns and he sees his friend and he said his friend was very distinct. He had like that slick back hair. He had a very distinct look and he sees his friend like grab him by the scruff of his back and more or less like kind of push him up to the, uh, to the, uh, what's it called? The hatch and gets him, gets him through the hatch where he's grabbed by a bunch of other sailors and they slam the door shut and they screw it. And he like freaks out. He's like, Hey, what are you doing? Like, that was my friend down there. And they're like, there's no one behind you. And then he learns like after the fact that uh, his friend was actually one of the ones in the first compartment that got uh, breached and drowned almost immediately uh, in the incident. So he, you know, he, he believed that his friend came back, his friend in the moment of his death, like trying to save him. Um, I've gotten stories like that. Uh, there's a famous case from the Korean War, kind of similar to effect of what you just read, but it was a gentleman that claimed to have been saved by the uh, the uh, Archangel Michael, um, St. Michael. Right. And he was a Marine in the Chosen Reservoir. And, you know, there's this supposed letter he wrote to his mother about how uh, this like giant Marine accompanied him out on the lines and he got separated from his squad on a patrol. And uh, when the Chinese attacked him, he got shot. And when he came to, uh, the other Marines were like, hey, what the hell, you walked off on by yourself. He's like, I wasn't alone. I was with this Marine named Michael. And they're like, there's no Michael in this battalion except for me. And it was like his platoon sergeant. So who are you talking about? And then they started questioning him like, how did you kill these Chinese soldiers? Uh, they were all, they were all killed with uh, like a sword, like a blade, and he claimed that when he, before he passed out from like getting shot, he saw that the marine had like transformed into this like angelic being with like a sword and it had attacked the Chinese soldiers. Wow, that's that's certainly something you don't see every day. Angel Amon stuff. Yeah, yeah. Great War Angel Amon's right. That's the other very famous case at least on the commonwealth side uh where the british soldiers retreating um during the battle of the mons pushed back by the german army kind of in a semi-frenzy panic uh falling back retreating are basically protected by these angelic archers right spirits of english bowmen from uh the battle of agincourt of course like these guys are in in France, right, where very famously the English armies had fought uh, and defeated the French on multiple occasions during the Hundred Years' War in the 14th century. So they're protected by the spirits of, of these guys and in, in a similarly angelic form. Speaking of the Great War, one of the most famous weird events that happened in military history, which I think we should mention is the U-28 Sea Serpent. Yes. Um, This happened in 1915. Uh, The U-boat U-28 torpedoed a British steamer called the Iberian on the 30th of July. Uh, U-boat was captained by Captain George Gunther Freyer von Fustner. 
Um, and they described basically sinking this ship. And once it sunk, there was an explosion underwater. Must have been that the, uh, the boiler blew or something like that. I don't know much about the engineering of ships, but there was a secondary explosion. Right, munitions or something. Yeah. And it hurled a animal, which he described as 60 feet long and shaped like a crocodile with four limbs out of the water, like shot it up like a good 60 to 100 feet in the air and then came crashing down. Um, uh, Three years later, uh, after the U-28 incident, another U-boat, the U-109, under Captain Werner Lowich, described a similar but even larger creature that he saw kind of just when the ship was uh, when the u-boat was surfaced he saw it like sort of slinking along the water both of these uh tales originally come from bernard Huvelman's in the wake of sea serpents which is probably the for the cryptozoology nerds out there is probably the best book ever written about trying to explain rationally and logically sea serpent sightings uh, bernard Huvelman's was a zoologist he's considered the uh father of cryptozoology i was a belgian uh, zoologist and he basically went through like 500 different sea serpent sightings and said okay which sound like hoaxes which sound like mistaken identities which sound like something unusual that they encountered and the u-28s always stuck out as a an incredible story because i mean how many times does a submarine blow up a sea serpent accidentally yeah i'm I'm not sure what happened to uh the 109 after the war you know what happened to it uh, no, I am not. Okay, so the, the 28 was sunk, and that's why it's kind of the more well-known story. Yes. Basically, they actually brought this, like, they had gone back to Germany or somewhere, wherever their, their port was, to refuel and resupply to go out for another patrol, right? Because obviously, you, you can only carry so much stuff on a U-boat. You have to go back pretty quickly to, to resupply after doing your business, uh, engaging the convoys and this was actually like passed forward in the official log of the incidents. Like we saw this aquatic creature fly up. U-boat captains are especially are very meticulous in their recordings, right? For obvious reasons. Like this is an, this is an operational need to know thing. This is not something you can embellish you can't this isn't like the infantryman going oh i killed you know 100 guys here 100 like this is a you you need to know to actually kind of ascertain the tonnage that you're actually sinking yeah like there has to be like a battle damage assessment after the fact right um the aar is all in you know numbers it's a numbers war it's how much how many tons you can sink of the enemy that's that's the ultimate role of the u-boat uh, even in the great war, right. Certainly more in second world war, it became like pretty significant, but in, in the first world war it's still like, we need to sink like a certain tonnage every month, or we are actually going to probably lose this war. Cause there's stuff coming in from the Americas There's stuff coming in from England. Like, you know, we, we need to sink these boats. Mm-hmm. So the U-boat captains are not really in the business of embellishing any records. Yeah. It's quite interesting that we, you know, because you can, we 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 know for a fact that throughout history, as as long as there's been 
humans on boats at sea there's always been like the fish was this big i saw mermaids i saw hydras i saw this and that yeah it's a it's a recurring theme or trope throughout human history um but you know these guys have kind of a reason maybe an ulterior motive behind why they're telling these stories of like mermaids and sirens and stuff and and sea monsters uh u-boat captains are not in that business and also it's to anybody that's watched Das Boot, it kind of sucks being on a U-boat. Yeah. You're very focused on your work. You're very yeah. stressed out. I, I, I don't think also the uh, Kriegsmarine would uh, Im, uh, <laughs> appreciate U-boat captains making up stories about blasting uh, yeah. giant marine crocodiles. Oh, and from the description, I mean, I think it's possible that the length or size of this creature was maybe exaggerated a bit, but I mean, they either blew up a whale or a basking shark that had that was destroyed in a manner that it looked like a thing or they encountered something truly unknown so nick i was wondering um have you uh you've certainly talked to navy guys uh with that story you just told us oh have real, you real quick before I, you carry on there um u28 was sunk like the on the next patrol so there's no follow-up they couldn't interview these guys they all died yeah right so that's that's one of the great mysteries mm-hmm. sorry yeah you're asking but yes so nick i was just wondering you definitely know navy guys have you seen guys who've seen sea serpents or encountered large surprisingly unmade? surprisingly no um i mean I have some some stories that they're like something hit the ship and we're not too sure why but nothing as distinct as seeing a uh sea serpent I get a lot of stories about ufos at sea or like haunted ships like ghosts on ships USOs. Uh, the clo- UFO. Yeah, USOs and USOs and now UAPs. Unidentified. <laughs> when it flies in and out of the water, it's called a USO because unidentified sea object. Whoa. Yeah, that, that's, that's a thing that happens. Sorry, continue, um, Nick. I didn't yeah, no that. worries. Uh, and then, so the other, the, the closest thing I got was actually, so, you know, part of the reason why I reached out to, to you guys was like, you know, I, tr- I, have a, I have a ton of like US stories, right? But I'm trying to get more... Um, foreign military stories well foreign to me at least uh i have quite a bit of canadian stories i have quite a bit of like british stories you know and i have some odds and ends from different countries like portugal chile uh you know um and i'm just trying to i even have a couple of russian ones uh, but i'm trying to like branch out and also get these guys stories from different countries um and the closest thing i have to a sea serpent was actually and it wasn't from a service member it was basically a guy that helps me like research topics in indonesia um, he researched a bunch of stuff for me because he's from Indonesia. And uh, there's, I guess, a plaque at this, like, for the military, like, memorial plaque. And the plaque basically reads that a sea serpent drug this BMP that was, or I can't remember. It was, like, one of the amphibious, like, Soviet vehicles. Uh, it was, like, a bunch of Marines, and they were going, they were doing an exercise, and they were going across, and there was, like, four or five of them, I think. And it was a training event. That's what it was. And... Uh, the crews witnessed a sea serpent wrap around one of these things and drag it under and like the guys drowned and the plaque actually says that um, out there and it's like kind of like a forgotten thing because you know over in Indonesia they kind of just treat that stuff like you know they treat what we consider paranormal as like common thing so like yeah of course a sea serpent dragged it down and supposedly the uh drill sergeant there witnessed it. it looks like basically like what we would consider like one of the oriental style dragons 
mm-hmm. like came out of the water, wrapped around this ship and dragged it down, or this not ship, this like little uh, amphibious vehicle and dragged it down. That's the closest thing I've gotten. Um, for like, I haven't actually really got a lot of sea monster stuff, which is possibly strange. a giant python or something like that. Maybe if it's got- I have. I, I unrelated. I have gotten a story from a guy that lived in. Uh, we were talking about snakes. I had a story from a guy that lived in Pakistan. Um, not not military related, just a local who likes like this stuff too. And I was asking questions about jinn and other like kind of like Islamic, mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, Pashtun stories. But he was telling me that they're in Pakistan. They have like these gigantic snakes, like massive, like predatory snakes that like are undiscovered or not discovered but like in pakistan they kind of know that they exist and they just everybody avoids them yeah and snakes typically avoid people but he said they're as big as a light pole and they eat um goats and cows and the occasional human if they're hungry enough um and like he said he grew up and he would see them but they would always be like at a distance because they avoided humans or like, you know, they would be on top of a rock on top of a mountain sunning themselves that he couldn't really get to. But like he said, they're about as thick as a light pole and eight cows. They're huge. I've, I've heard similar stories actually from Nepal of similar, like they call them dragons, but they're described giant snakes. Yeah, but it's interesting you mentioned Jin because I, over the last couple of years, I've been reading a lot of stuff that soldiers in Afghanistan, both American, Canadian, Brit, uh, whatever encountered and they describe all kinds of bizarre things like some things that sort of are more like conventional ghosts but they also there's stories about like jinn uh unusual beings like what a jinn isn't like a demon jinn is uh actually a genie but it's a demon it's a demon in islamic sort of folklore uh and theology and Now, I will say one problem with many of these stories is they're not always greatly cited. Uh, There's a blog, Mysterious Universe, that did a article, a guy named Brett Swanser writes it, uh, which did a very good article about these stories, but unfortunately didn't cite much of it. And same with the YouTube channel. I don't know, maybe you've heard of it, Nick, uh, Bedtime Stories. I like him because he's... Yeah, I like him a lot because he's generally pretty, like, he gives both the paranormal explanation and the conventional explanation, like it could be either, or Uh, he did a really good uh, video called there's something in the desert. That's about all these stories. But again, unfortunately um, generally we haven't cited on the other hand, though, I also understand how many individual soldiers probably don't want to come forward with stories like this for fear of ridicule. Oh yeah, exactly. And you know, I, uh, I, um, I think there's a lot of people that are like that and there's part of it is like people just don't want to be ridiculed or be labeled crazy because you know if I go to a behavioral health appointment it's nothing against behavioral health the first thing they ask you is do you see like you know do you hear voices and do you hear ghosts like you know so someone doesn't want to be like well am I schizophrenic like I don't want to like yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. Um, I think on the other thing too is Hank you hit it on the head earlier is just like a lot of times I'm just so focused on my job that like, I don't have time to think about this in the moment. Like I can tell you, I'm pretty sure I saw Sasquatch at Fort Drum on a thermal, on a training exercise, because I saw a massive, like tall figure in the woods on thermal watching me in my platoon set up a FARP. And it was just like a, like an air refueling station. And I like looked at it. I was like, Oh, that's really weird. And I watched it like walk into the woods. 
like after it was watching us for a couple couple seconds and I was like oh that was really weird and I went back to like you know manning my 50 cal and like you know, duly simultaneously manning my 50 cal for security talking to my platoon and talking to aircraft at the same time yeah. Yeah. um yeah. And after the fact, after like thinking about it again, like the memory came up, I was like, oh, yeah, that was probably something that was definitely not the op four because like I saw trees for reference and its head was in the, the bottom of the trees, you know? So like, I think there's a lot of things like one of my favorite quotes I've, I've gotten from doing this stuff is like, you know, the terror that we, the nothing beats the terror you pass off in the moment. And a lot of times you just kind of hand wave it. And, you know, sometimes the hand waving, is just like, you know, there's people like hand away some truly incredible things. Uh, so Nick, you were saying you saw Sasquatch or, or at least something huge on your scope. And uh, I know a lot of guys, a lot of American GIs in Vietnam talked about uh, what they called rock apes, what the Vietnamese called a Nong Rai, which I am not pronouncing correctly, but they're kind of um, giant apes in there. I know the Soviets actually had literal expeditions into some of their wilder areas looking for uh, ape man and wild man. It's something that a lot of people don't like understand. A lot of people just think like Sasquatch is like a North American phenomenon, but like, no people on all six inhabited continents talk about ape men or wild men or Bigfoot or oh, yeah. devils. Like it, it's a thing everywhere. Including people that have never seen an ape before cultures that had never yeah. interacted with anything ape-like. I mean, there's no, nothing resembling a gorilla or chimpanzee in the Balkans or like yeah. parts of Eastern Europe, but there's stories of uh, like sort of wild humans in there who are covered in hair who live in the mountains. And they go back a long time. Oh, the hundreds and hundreds of years and all over. And, and I mean, like native peoples often describe these kind of creatures in the similar way they describe them as... Um, in a similar way that they describe their normal fauna and uh, flora, like, oh, well, just their fauna, but uh, well, <laughs> mystery plants. That's another episode. Cryptobotany. Yeah. Anyway. But, um, yeah. Yeah. Like they just talk a lot about, uh, yeah. And it's, it's very interesting. Like people who know what, a like in Africa, there's people who will describe like the locals, they'll describe like gorillas and chimpanzees, but they'll also describe, other creatures which are bigger and taller yeah mm-hmm. oh yeah i got all sorts of stories like that on my page um like especially you mentioned kandahar giant i have several stories of people in afghanistan that that, that saw gigantic that saw giants like yeah they saw yeah. giant humanoids out there um definitely uh if i know your listeners if they're interested the best place to come find me is at uh on instagram it's where i primarily work out of and that's Tales from the Grid Square on Instagram. So Tales, T-A-L-E-S underscore from, F-R-O-M underscore the, T-H-E underscore Grid Square, G-R-I-D-S-Q-U-A-R-E. That's Tales from the Grid Square on Instagram. And uh, for this, the listeners interested too, I have a book. It's also known as Tales from the Grid Square, Volume 1, and it's uh, the first, well, my selected First volume of 240 stories, and it's everything from like, you know, U.S. Marines to Air Force to uh, Canadian military, British Army, even some like two Russian stories, three Russian stories. Um, 240 stories and kind of like varying different topics from like cryptids to ghosts to UFOs to like time slip stuff. Weird, just weird stories. 
Um, that's available on Amazon. And for, you know, Hank, if you're so for your, the Canadian listeners, also available in Canada as well. Yes. Um, it's available anywhere through Amazon selling books. Yeah. Uh, the link I post in my page is the American link, but uh, it is available in Canada and Britain and Australia and all sorts of places. Yeah, I'm definitely going to buy a copy of that and check it out. It looks really cool. And you are taking submissions. Oh, yeah. Always. Yeah. So always. if any of our listeners have weird military stories, Nick's your guy. And if you want to submit, just go ahead and if you have Instagram, uh, just message my page directly and just say like, hey, I have a story and I'll be like, I want to hear it. Or if you're a uh, little old school, you don't have an Instagram, I have an email and that's um, tales from the grid square at gmail.com. So just my uh, the name of the page in the book at gmail.com. And I'll just spell out real quick. It's T-A-L-E-S-F-R-O-M-T-H-E-G-R-I-D-S-Q-U-A-R-E. All one word at gmail.com. Excellent. Well, I think we'll kind of wrap it up there. Um, thank you again for being on. Yeah. Thank, thanks for everything, Nick. Um, I yeah, love no your page. Yeah. Well, you and I, I think, could talk about this all day, but we'll, we'll I know you got to, stuff to do and so do we. So yeah. we'll, we'll have thank to revisit you ver- this. We'll have to go on again, maybe another follow-up episode. If, yeah. Especially if you guys like yeah. this format, do give us uh, some feedback. A little different. Yeah. A little off the beaten path. from Robert Very TV. much off the beaten path. Into like, the uh, creepy caves. Cool. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, thank you so much, Nick, for coming on the podcast. Um, it's, it's been awesome to talk and uh, really looking forward to reading your book and reading more of these stories. No problem. And uh, I'll leave on a final note uh, for the listeners and you guys, if you're, if you're interested, there, there is a volume two in the works right now that I'm currently editing, um, going through and like, it's going to be bigger than the next one. Like, it's going to have pictures of stuff that people have captured. Um, and I have enough stories to put aside for a volume three. So the more, the merrier, keep them coming. Um, it just helps me grow the page. Absolutely. All right. Thanks again, man. Thank you so much, Nick. Appreciate it. Thank you for letting me come on today. Absolutely. Cheers. So Nick from tales from the grid square has left the building. Goodbye, Nick. We're back. Yes, we're back. Just us now. That was a fun conversation. Yeah. Very much out of the um, bounds of what we usually do, but very interesting. It is Halloween, so we figured we'd be a little spookier. Yeah, we thought we'd share with you guys Happy tales. Happy Halloween, uh, by the way. Everybody. I don't think we mentioned that. Are we? This is we're coming out on Halloween, right? Yes, yeah. Okay, so happy Halloween, everybody. Yeah, I thought we'd... Uh, what are you dressed up as right now? An Egyptian pharaoh. What am I dressed up as? Um, a Vietnamese rice farmer. <laughs> These are my normal clothes. <laughs> yeah. So happy Halloween, everybody. Yeah, um, but yeah, I thought we'd share with you guys some stories about I monsters, uh, weird lights, yeah. uh, sea monsters, ghosts. We didn't really talk too much about UFOs or aliens, but I mean, we'll have to follow up with Nick. Yeah, that we was did. A lot of fun. We did talk fun. a little bit about the UFO yeah. in Zimbabwe. That was, that was, yeah, not enough. Yes. But. And if anyone has any paranormal or weird stories about the Rhodesian Bush War from there or the South African Border War or similar conflicts, we would love to hear them because I've never heard of anything from those conflicts that's particularly weird. And I don't think you have either, Hank, but we'd definitely like to hear it and we'd pass it on to Grid. For sure. Or you could contact Grid directly. So either DM us yeah. if you have... Or even if you just have served anywhere and have a kind of weird story. Yeah. Doesn't matter what military or what era. If you have a weird story you'd like to share, we'd love to hear it. Mm -hmm. But 
definitely something that you guys should consider following up with with Tales from the Grid Square again. The yeah. underscore or it's tails yeah, underscore tails underscore from, from underscore, underscore the underscore grid square. Okay, to make it easier, because we've read that like nine times. Like tails from the grid square, except the spaces are underscores. Done. Yes. Do exactly. that, do that, find yeah. them on Instagram. At tails from the grid square, but the spaces are underscores. Yes, exactly. So again, Fire Force Ventures is back in operation selling Rhodesian brush stroke and all kinds of cool camouflage products again. Canada Camel, my venture from up here in Canada, because I like Bindu so much, I'm still still up here hanging out with him, uh, is, he's giving me a look. <laughs> he's giving me the Pharaoh stare right now. But um, yeah, with uh, Canada Camel, my venture dedicated more so towards the Canadian and Northern U- U.S. market, cold weather stuff, hard use stuff, real Canuck gear. Youper gear. Youper gear. So definitely check that out, Fire Force Ventures and Canada Camel, fireforceventures.com, and camis.ca, Canada Camel. I don't think I even mentioned that at the intro. So, By the way, just a something I need to put in a correction myself. Yes to all you people who are probably going to be sending me messages about the last podcast. Yes, I know a youper technically is a stereotype from Michigan and not just somebody who lives in the cold weather, but I don't care. <laughs> no, you don't care. Uh Commando Blog as well. Shout out to Commando Blog. Again, they are kicking off again if you would like to write for them about all things firearms and firearms culture, including anime, video games, combat medicine, lifestyle, and all the rest. Especially outdoor living. Especially outdoor living. Check out, uh, or sorry, if you'd like to write for them, email dawn at commandoblog.com. That's commando with a K. And if you like to just read their articles and check them out and see what they're up to, we're hosted there as well. So you can listen to our podcast from there. Commando blog, K-O-M-M-A-N-D-O. Again, that's commando with a K, blog.com for all true K-tards out there. And last but certainly not least, check out our merch store. Lots of signed books, including several that we have covered on this podcast. Actually, all the ones we have are covered yeah. on this podcast. So that's Fire Force, Survival Course, which was our last episode, and No Mean Soldier. No Mean Soldier by Peter Mackley. So two Chris Cox books, Peter Mackley's book, all signed by the authors. Check them out there. Um, allows us to actually, well, allows you to kind of support the author directly by purchasing from us because it's a signed mm-hmm. copy. And as always, you can donate to us via our subscribe star or directly on our website at www.menamongmenstories.com. Again, that's www.menamongmenstories.com. If you're actually listening from the website right now, it's just all in our merch store on, the, I think, the top right corner of your screen. Click there. You'll see a direct donation link, or you can link directly to our subscribe star and support us there. It's called the tip jar. The tip jar, exactly. Mm-hmm. So you can... Send us a little tip. It does go a long way. Um, so, obviously, as well, special thanks to all the current subscribers of the podcast, the Fire Force Ventures Buyers Club. Thank you for supporting our efforts. Your dollars here and there do go a long way. And to all those serving in the military, law enforcement, and other first responders. Men in black. The men in black. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for doing what you do so we can do what we do. You lot are the true men among men. Bindu? So pull up, grab a chibouli, and have a very happy Halloween, guys. Happy Halloween.